The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. To do something corny, turn to the person next to you and say, Howdy, neighbor. Uh, This morning, we're excited to begin really looking at this aspect of who is our neighbor. And we're going to ask the question, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, did he literally mean love your neighbor? You know, the guy next door to you that never cuts the grass? Uh, You know, the kids that hang out with 20 other kids on the front porch and, and they all look like there's somebody you don't want to cross paths with? When Jesus said, love your neighbor, did he literally mean love your neighbor? What I want to share with you this morning is starting a series that has really been brewing in me for about the last three years. As Sandy and I were down in South Florida, and we sensed that the Lord was moving us back in the direction of Georgia. Uh, I know, why would anybody want to leave West Palm Beach, Florida, right? Um, and we began praying, and it seemed as though the Lord was specifically telling us that we want you to move back to Georgia, and, and the place that we are wanting you to go to is Conyers, Georgia. Now, I was going on with a missions organization that was in Tucker, and if you commute in the line of traffic, how many of you commute in the line of traffic, uh, you realize that the best option for us would have been to have moved somewhere closer to the office there in Tucker, Georgia. But we knew that for some reason God was calling us back to this place. And we were not unaware because we had spoken to a lot of friends through the years that had remained in Conyers and many that had moved away from Conyers. And when we told them that we really want to go back to Conyers, they would say, why do you want to go back to Conyers? And the underline was, it is not the way that it was when you left Conyers. And we recognized that the community that we had been in for 20 plus years and had moved away for 11 was not the community that we had left when we went to Florida. But we also recognized that 34 years ago that we had, by God's grace, made a response to His invitation and said, yes, Lord Jesus, well... Uh, will give you our lives, that you're Lord and you're master of our lives, and our life is in your hand. And so, God, if it's your will that we'll go back to Conyers, Georgia, we want to go back to Conyers, Georgia. And so we moved back here, and as we got back to Conyers, we did recognize that there were a lot of differences. And there were two things that really began to stand out in my mind as I began to pray for our community where I live in Roddale County, because I believe that God has placed you and He's placed me in a community, in a neighborhood where we live, not by our choice, but by His sovereign will, because He wants us to use, wants to use us in that community. Can I say amen to that? Amen. The first thing that was kind of glaring to me is that historically there had always been some divide, it seemed, between the churches in our community, and a vast percentage, vast majority percentage of our county was church during that time. And even at that time, there was a lot of segregation between denominations within the community. But I recognized and realized when I got back here, it seemed to be that it had even gotten worse than it was before. And so we began praying. I began praying, God, would you bring unity among the body of Christ in 
our community because I really believe simply that Jesus, when he said that they'll know that you're a mime by the love that you have for one another, he meant that those that are lost outside of the body of Christ will know that we belong to him when they see the love that we have for one another within the community of believers. And we may have some differences but we know that Jesus said that and he intended for us to love. And if I summed up John chapter 17 where Jesus is praying to the Father, that great priestly prayer that he prays, where he prays for unity, I'd put it this way. That Jesus was praying, Father, may they, the they is those who have not come to know Christ yet, may the world, your neighbor, the ones that live around you, the ones that you play baseball with, the ones that are in the community, the ones that you work with that are not believers, may they know, may they be brought to complete unity, the body of Christ be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and that you've loved them as you have loved me. And I'm simplistic enough to believe that when Jesus said that they'll know we are His by the way that we love one another, He meant they will know that we're His by the way we love one another. There's no parsing of the Greek that you need to do to get to understand that that's just plain English, right? And so the other thing that I recognize, which is pretty obvious, that in our community over the years and different things that have taken place, that not only was there was a great divide among the body of Christ within our community, and not only within Rockdale County, but the surrounding counties, but there was a great division within our culture, primarily related and surrounding ethnic differences. And I thought, Lord... If you're ever going to change Rockdale County, if you're ever going to change the church, the body of Christ in Rockdale County, then you've got to move to break these things down. About a year ago, I had the opportunity, uh, shortly after I was called here to be pastor, to have a lunch with another local pastor by the name of Dave Benson. He's the pastor at First Methodist here downtown. Some of you know him. And so as Dave and I got together for lunch, it, it, it was refreshing to find that there was a, another one that I was having lunch with that began to have the same burdens for the community that we're both in, that we're called to shepherd a body of Christ that is to have an impact in the community where we are. And we knew that it was not God's plan and God's design that the body of Christ continued to dwindle and some years later we just sell the property to another group. But the God had placed this local church, his local church, in this community so that we might reach the community as it is made up. Can everybody say amen to that? And so we knew that there were some challenges in that. There was a lot of history involved in that. And there were a lot of emotions and a lot of anger and a lot of division and a lot of misunderstanding. Well, we believed so much that the gospel could change and have an impact in that. We began to ask the question, what is it that we can do cooperatively then to lead our bodies so that we might reach the community? Because he and I were both tired of, and I want to be frank with you for a minute, we were tired of doing the hallelujah parties that we had a great big outreach, handed out a bunch of stuff, and saw very little fruit for the kingdom of God in that. You may say amen to that. 
We like to go and we like to bring everybody out and there's nothing wrong with this. We get good pictures, we show it on Sunday morning, we say, hallelujah, wasn't that great? Now let's go on about our own business. But it has very little impact in bringing people to faith and knowledge of Christ in the community. We were just burned out on that. And we determined that if God enables us, we want to lead in a way that we reach the community in the way that Jesus told us to reach the community. And we came to the conclusion that when Jesus gave the great command that we're to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves, we realized that that is the key, is loving our neighbor. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, and we all know the story where Jesus is asked by a lawyer, actually, and I'm going to refrain from jokes during that point. Jesus is approached one day by a man who's an attorney, he's a lawyer, he's a, he's a well-schooled man, some think he may have been a Levite, we don't know. But the lawyer stood up where Jesus was, and Luke tells us that he stood up to ask Jesus a question to test Jesus. And he asked him, he said, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? This young man answered Jesus, and he said, That you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus responded to him, responded and said, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Let's pray. Father, we pray that, God, as we engage your words, Jesus, where you have commanded us, Lord, not with an option, not with qualifications, not with distinctions, but, Lord Jesus, you have commanded us as your disciples, your followers, to love our neighbor as ourself. God, we pray that you'd move in our hearts this morning. God, that if, uh, Lord, we've begun that journey of loving our neighbors, Lord, that you'd encourage us and motivate us more by that which is love, to love even more the way that you've loved us. God, if we're here this morning and we've never even thought about literally loving our literal neighbor god would you move in our hearts so that we might see others come to know christ in jesus name amen now here in this verse really when you look at it you recognize and realize that jesus was a genius now don't don't throw the word omniscient back at me okay we we know that jesus knows all things but but really what he gave us is a strategy here in this simple command of how he has given to us the means that we might reach those who are lost around us. And notice he simply summed up all of the law and the commands and these two things that we love God with all our heart and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Paul repeats this and two places in his letters, and I'll read for you what Paul says in, first, in Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8. Paul says this, making reference to what Jesus had given in the command. He said, O one, owe no one anything except love each other. Now, don't write your banker and say, hey, man, I'm not supposed to owe you anything. I just love you and expect him to get by with it. But he said, no, owe no man anything except to love, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And we know that Jesus said that if we love him, we will do what? Somebody. If we love him, we will obey his what? Commandments. In other words, the demonstration of our love for him is that we obey his command. And Jesus has given us a command. It's not an option. He has given us the command because all the law is summed up in these two things to love our neighbor. How many of us want to love Jesus? How many of us do love Jesus? How many of us want to obey his command? Then we'll love his neighbor. The sequence goes that way. Paul goes on to say this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. He says, through love, serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I find it remarkable sometimes the cycle that believers get into a feeling as though that they have been defeated and oftentimes we seem to be defeated where we try to live up to all these different standards and we concentrate on the things that are not very valuable, that are not very meaningful and the thing that Jesus has called us to do most is to love him and love our neighbor. He says, if you've done this, man, you're doing well. James puts it this way in his letter. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you're doing well. In my life, and I don't know about you, I found one of the most difficult things to do is to love other people. Anybody there with me? I mean, to really love them. Because the kind of love that Jesus talks about here when he says to love our neighbor is a love just as he has demonstrated to us. And we know the kind of love that God has displayed to us and the kind of love he continues to display to us is that he displays and acts in an unconditional love in our life. Aren't you glad that God did not place conditions on you in order for him to love you? You might say, yes, I am. And if you know yourself like I know myself, I am very glad that he didn't place conditions there. And if you know yourself like some of you know that the way that I know some of you, man, you really need to be glad, just joking. But the most difficult thing oftentimes is to fulfill that command. Not just to fulfill it, but to be intentional about loving others in the way that Christ has loved us. But that's what he's called us to do. That's what he's commanded us to do in this. And I've come to realize that that is not something I can do in my own power. You see, you and I cannot love the way that he's called us to love by our own efforts. Listen, the only way that we can love in that way is as we are empowered and yielded by the Holy Spirit daily in our lives and we die to self to love others. And it's not an impossible thing because... Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5 that God has poured the love of God abroad in our hearts. You see, when we were born again, we were transformed, we were changed, where before we didn't have that capacity to love, now that we've come into relationship with God and have experienced His love, He has enabled us with that ability to love unconditionally. The question is, am I willing to yield myself so that I might love others unconditionally? 
And so this guy comes to Jesus and he tries to test Jesus again and he responds to him in the right way of saying, you know, the law says love God with all your heart, love your neighbor yourself. Jesus said you've answered correctly. And then in verse 29, an interesting thing takes place in the passage. But he, meaning the lawyer, wasn't satisfied in that he had answered the question correctly. Because he had answered it right. He wasn't satisfied, and then Luke records to us, and it's recorded in the other Gospels as well, but he, meaning the attorney, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? There's something going on in this young man's life as he's talking with Jesus. And what I believe that's happening here is when, when Jesus said that you're right, that in this man's mind he knew and understood that he was willing to love those who were like him. He was willing to love those who are the lovable. But he realized that he needed to try to justify himself because he didn't love everyone. And so he asked the question, Jesus, define who my neighbor is. Like a good attorney, he was looking for a loophole. He was trying to build a defense for himself because he knew in the presence of Christ that he was not fulfilling that law to the extent that Jesus had called him to. And just like us, he tried to justify himself because he was not willing to live up to what Jesus had called him to do. I kind of find it funny that here this man is, he's trying to justify himself to Jesus. God, can you imagine that? I mean, Jesus is standing there, and you try to justify yourself, and I think, I do it every day. Anybody else with me on that? And trying to justify himself, just as we do, he asks the question, Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In other words... Tell me that it's my neighbor that fits the description of the one that I want to love, and then I'll do it. And then Jesus goes into the story that we all know very well, and that's the story of the Good Samaritan. To demonstrate what it is to love a neighbor, and not only to love a neighbor, but to define who our neighbor is. Of course, you all know the story. There's a man that's traveling along, and Jesus doesn't tell us where the man was from that was traveling along, that had gotten beat up and bloodied, and he's left there on the side of the road after he was robbed, half dead. So we have no idea where he was from, but then he uses an example of two men, very similar to this man who was a lawyer and those others around him, a priest and a Levite. And he uses them as examples in the story where they come along the side of the road. They see the man half beaten up, left for dead, but they didn't want to get involved and they didn't want to express their love. So they walked on the other side of the street. And then Jesus uses, oh no, he goes to that terrible thing, that of a Samaritan. And in the Jew's mind, he was a scourge of society. You see, the Samaritans were half-breed. They were half-Syrian. They were half-Jewish. They had, they had mingled in not only with the other 
nations but had adopted into the Jewish faith that they came from the gods of these other nations and they created their own form of worship and the Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans and they thought that they were just the lowest of lowest of lowest and Jesus says you know what the one who really loved his neighbor is the one that you despise and it's the Samaritan so we all know the story and what the Samaritan had done But if we simply stop there in this story that Jesus has given when he tells us to love our neighbor and say, well, you know what, I'm I'm like the Samaritan guy. I'd be willing. I mean, I love everybody. Everywhere I go, I try to show that I love. I try to put on a smile. I try to demonstrate love. I open doors for old ladies. I do all this kind of stuff, and I love everybody. And by the way, it doesn't matter what color they are. I still do it for them, so I love, and we leave it there. Odds are that we have made a metaphoric neighbor rather than taking literally what Jesus told us to do, and that is to love our neighbor. You see, we we have a tendency sometimes to say, well, yes, we love our neighbor. And we say, if I ever had that chance, I would minister to a guy that was beat up on the road too. But often, but oddly enough, most of us will never have that opportunity in our life. And I and very confident that what Jesus meant when he gave this illustration is that we are to love our literal neighbor regardless of where he's placed us. It becomes out there. Metaphorically, we say, yes, we love our neighbor, our metaphorical neighbor. But when it rubber meets the road where he's called us to love, where he's placed us, we fall very short of that. You see, we need to apply the teaching of Jesus literally with our neighbors, I believe. And I believe that as we apply apply what Jesus has called us to do, and that's to literally love our neighbors, we will see him work through our lives for purposes that are far greater than purposes we might have for ourselves. As we begin talking about this subject for the next few weeks of literally loving our neighbor, I want to make sure that we, we... we, we get the motivation right. This may shock some of you, and some of you may take issue with it, but I would want to say this, that as a church, as we look to where God has placed us so that we might have an impact in our community, that motive is very important. And our motive for reaching out to those that are around us can never be solely a motivation to just evangelize, but it has to be a motivation to love. Now, I'm not saying that we don't evangelize, but what I'm simply saying is that Jesus gave us a command to love our neighbor, and it's through that intentional loving of our neighbors that God works in that so that they open their hearts and relationship to us, and we have opportunity that we can share with them the hope that we have. I shared the story some time ago, and I'll relay it again. I can remember just shortly after I was saved, standing outside of the church we were saved, Horizon Christian Fellowship, and there was a young man there that I knew was not saved. And he had run out of gas, and I said, man, I'll take you to get gas. So we get a can, I take him uh, to get gas, and I'm taking him to where his car. And no sooner had he gotten in the car, I began wanting to communicate to him the four spiritual laws. Communicated with the four spiritual laws, nothing wrong with doing that. 
put gas in his car, and the next time I saw him, I wanted to communicate with him again the four spiritual laws, and he turned around to me, and he said, you know, you care nothing about me. I'm only a project to you. You see, the motivation has to be love. And especially today, we live in a culture where they can see, uh, others can see un- insincere motives a mile away. I can remember the time that I was invited to a, an acquaintance house who had reached out to me and had said, you know, I just, I just want to be your friend. I just want to begin to establish a relationship with you. And I was a believer. He was a believer. And I, I wanted relationship, and I needed that in my life. And I was real happy because this guy had invited me over to this house. And only when I get to his house, I find the real reason he invited me to his house because he wanted to get me involved in a multi-level, multi-level marketing scheme. You see, the non-Christian can see insincerity a mile away. And what they want to see through us is that do our actions, does our life match up with what we profess? Do we really love them? And so our motivation has to be love, not just trying to get another notch on our Bible, so to speak. There's a neighbor that lives across the street from me, and I won't mention his name. Uh, But shortly after we had moved into the house that we're in now, I I began to have sidewalk conversations with him. And I knew that he was from a different place that I was from, and uh, he's from India, of Indian descent. And we engaged in conversation, and we both like yard work, so we're out in the yard a lot, and we would get together from time to time just to have sidewalk chats. And as we began to have sidewalk chats, I began to pray that God would give me opportunity at some point, not only to display love to him, but boy, that I might have an opportunity to share Christ with him. So one day he comes over and he gets me and he says, hey, I need to cut down a tree. Will you come and help me? And when I got there to see the tree, I realized that he doesn't want to pay somebody else and he's using me to cut down a tree, you know, one of those. So I labored with him, we cut down the tree that day, and we got it done, and we continued to talk and have sidewalk chats, and I knew that from those conversations that this gentleman had a faith that was made up of a lot of different faiths in the world, like many people we know today. And I wanted to have an opportunity to be able to share Christ with him, but I just kind of sensed, you know what, right now is not the time to go there. And so he continued to pray, and one day I was out in my yard, and I noticed that he was pretty downcast when I said hey to him. He didn't respond in the normal way that he did, and so I walked across the street, and I began to talk to him, and as I'm talking to him, he begins to weep and cry, and he begins to tell me of his alcoholic son who's about to lose everything, his family and his kids, and he's so concerned. And I looked at him, the only thing I need to say is, man, can I pray with you? And he said, yes would you please? So I had the chance to pray with him, and I didn't get to share the four spiritual laws, but the exciting thing is this. He lives part of the year in Houston, part of the year here. While he was in Houston the last trip, he sent word to me that his wife's brother has cancer, and she's dying of cancer 
would I pre please pray for his brother? He does not know Christ yet, but I'm telling you, the expression of love opened up an opportunity that God is working in that. And I believe that he's going to come to know Christ one day. Amen? You see, God's put you and us, you and me, where we are because he wants to use us for purposes that are far greater than what our purposes might be. The question is, are we going to recognize and realize that that is why he's placed us there? Here's what I ask you to do. We're going to kind of do some exercise this morning. With an illustration that you have in your bulletin, if you guys would show the next slide. What I want to ask you to do is take that in your bulletin and take a look at it. And, and where it is that you literally live, that is your house there in the center. And around you, we're just going to ask you to look at eight different homes around you. And here's the question I want to ask. First of all, nobody has to raise their hands. How many of us would say that we know the names of our eight closest neighbors that live in our community or where we are in our neighborhood? I sat down and did this myself just so that I'm not the preacher preaching to the crowd and not following it. So I put on my sheet, here, here's, here's my name. There was an easy one. Sarah and Brian lived two doors. My daughter and son-in-law, they lived two doors down the road. The grandkids are the most important, but they're there. So I knew who they were. And, and I took the sheet. There's a widow lady that lives across the street, Miss Yarborough, who I would say I don't go over enough just to check on her. Al Myers lives right there. And Charlie and Bonnie live next door to me. And Vince and Cindy live on the other side of me. And Jason lives somewhere down the street, Jason and Michelle. And, and there's this house right here, and I know you can't see it, but there's only one name there, and it's a man's name. They're, they're new neighbors that moved in. And I'm not going to say his first name because I'm praying that one day they'll be here, and I don't want you to know who it is. But in my conversation with him, I learned from him that between he and the other gentleman there have five kids that live in the same home. You, you understand where I'm getting at. They live in a lifestyle that I know this book condemns. But Jesus didn't tell me to love my neighbor based on the condition of their life. He told me to love my neighbor. And so I had introduced myself to him, and I've stopped by a couple other times to meet the other gentleman in the home, but haven't had that opportunity yet. And I'm praying that it's a long time before they find out that I'm a Baptist pastor. <laughs> you see, I want them to be shocked when they learn that I'm a Baptist pastor. Not for me, but what I want them to be shocked about is, man, that guy seemed to demonstrate love to us and didn't care the lifestyle that we're living. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I, I do care. Because they're lost in sin just like any of us were before we came to know Christ. Their sin is no greater than ours. And, and so I want to 
demonstrate God's love. And the five kids I haven't met yet, but I see them at the, I see them at the bus stop every morning where they're there at the end of the road, and I pray for them every morning, asking God that God would move in their hearts. I just want to love them and pray that God, by His mercy, would draw them to Himself so that they might come to know Him. There's another neighbor that you see that's blank on my card. They have a kid that walks a neighborhood um, who, and I'm ashamed to admit this, but who at my first sighting of this kid, I thought, man, that's a strange kid. He walks, listens to his music. He comes by the yard. I, hey, hey, man, how you doing? No acknowledgement. I think that kid's strange. And I immediately go to Columbine in my mind. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Just last week, as I'm driving out of the neighborhood, I see him walking towards the bus stop. And, and the Lord hit me squarely between the eyes. Wait a minute. You're preaching on loving your neighbor this Sunday, and you think this kid's strange, and he's going to shoot up the next high school he's in? So I rolled down my window. I said, hey, buddy. <laughs> of course, the first thing in his mind was, who's this old Who's this old guy saying hey to me, right? But I realized in just a brief conversation that it's not that he's strange. He's just extremely shy. Quivering when he's saying, yes, sir. And I thought, Lord, forgive me for prejudging this young man in my community. And don't we do that? You see, Jesus has called us to what? Love our neighbor. We put all these things, these defenses, these walls around us. And sometimes, I'll be honest with you, that's fed by the media. But I figured a long time ago, I'm not going to allow the media to dictate the way that I see the world. I want to allow this to dictate how I see the world. Last story, a friend of mine named Wayne who lived next door to us in Florida. Um, he was a new neighbor. The old neighbors moved out, and <laughs> can I be honest with you? We were glad they moved. <laughs> you know, they, they were those hard neighbors to love. All right, you've been there too, so I don't mind sharing that with you. Wayne moves in, and Wayne was a guy in his mid-70s, and we're in South Florida, and Wayne loved to cut his grass on a zero-turn lawnmower. He had about 200 square foot of grass. Why he had a zero-turn lawnmower, I have no idea. But Wayne kind of gave Sandy the heebie-jeebies because he liked to go out in his gym shorts, no shirt, and you'd have thought his occupation was a plumber. You know? Can I? Okay, so now I've given you a word picture. But I noticed something about Wayne. I noticed that every afternoon, Wayne would like to sit on his little portico in the front of the house, and he'd like to have a bourbon and Coke when he finished his day. Wayne was retired. And so I walk across the yard, and I sit down next to Wayne. I say, hey, man, you mind if I sit with you? He says, no, not at all. So it kind of became a habit that pretty frequently I sat with Wayne on his front porch while he had his bourbon and Coke. He was a lot of fun after he had three, you know, <laughs> 
We talked about life. He talked about politics. So I had this idea that first Thanksgiving, I said, Wayne, you know, I know you got your girlfriend in Miami. When she's up, she has a daughter. Why don't you guys come over to our house for Thanksgiving? <laughs> when I told Sandy, now Sandy loves people, don't get Sandy wrong, but she's like, were you, were you invited Wayne for Thanksgiving? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Wayne comes, he and his girlfriend, the daughter, and Wayne noticed that we had a home Bible study that met at our house. You guys, did y'all meet Wayne, by the way? By the way, it's Jeff and Judy Sue, friends of ours from 35 years ago in California. Um, <laughs> so I took the risk. I invited Wayne to one of our potlucks. So Wayne comes to our potluck, and first I had to tell him, Wayne, you read that bottle, just let's just, you save that for another time, okay? Wayne's unchurched. Wayne doesn't know a potluck is a bunch of Christians that get together and they indulge and they overeat. They don't touch the alcohol, but they indulge and overeat. Okay, right? All right. So I so said, let's not bring that out. Don't, don't bring that out here, Wayne. And so Wayne's talking around, and every four-letter explicit that you can imagine, Wayne had done it in, in meeting the first six people. <laughs> you know, I was so proud of our, our group. They didn't care. They knew Wayne was lost, and you know what their desire was? Their desire was to display the love of Christ to Wayne. Wayne later went through cancer. Wayne walked through some very difficult times with me in my life just as a friend. Then I had the opportunity to sit with Wayne and share with Wayne how he can have what the Lord so graciously has given me, and that's a relationship. And Wayne came to know trust Christ. Now, don't. I just simply want to say this. Jesus has commanded us to love our neighbor. To love our neighbor. But there are risks that we have to be willing to take in order to love our neighbor. You see, the first risk is very obvious because if any of us have loved anybody, we realize that when we love somebody, we open ourselves up for hurt, right? I think Jesus did that, didn't he? The other risk that we take when we do that is that we, we risk having to change some of the paradigms that we have. That they're not all that way. They might have a rebel flag on the back of the truck, but they may not be a bigoted redneck. I'm just going to be honest with you. They must be ignorant. They, 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 they may have an appearance as though they're some thug teenager. But that appearance is an exterior because there's a broken life there and nobody's ever shown them love and they only know how to react in that way. The risk is that I might have to give up some of my comforts in order to be obedient to Jesus' command to love my neighbor. It may mean that I don't make it on Wednesday night 
because I had an opportunity that my neighbor wanted me to engage with them, and I stay at home and forget. We're not going to judge you for staying home on Wednesday night. Can you say amen to that? Sunday morning's a different story, but Wednesday night... It may mean that you don't go to your Sunday school or small group gathering because you have this opportunity to love a neighbor. Listen, that's okay. That's what Jesus has called us to do. We have to recognize, lastly, that we think we selected the neighborhood we live in. We think we selected the house that we moved into. God did. You see, in the book of Acts, it tells us that God has sovereignly placed boundaries where He has called His people to dwell. God's put you in the neighborhood where you live because He wants to use you in the community where you live to show His love to them there. question is, are we willing to be intentional to love our neighbor. That's really where the rubber meets the road. Are we willing to be intentional at taking steps? There's some very practical steps that I want you to take home with you. Inside your bulletin, you see that diagram that's not filled out. First thing I'd like to ask you to do is to sit down and try to fill out every name around you. And if you can't do that, even if you've lived there for 15 years, embarrassingly knock on the door and say, Hey, I'm J-Mo. I live two doors down from you, but I've been here 15 years, and I've never stepped across the street to say, Hey, I'm J-Mo. What's your name? Give them your name. Give them your phone number. Just get to know who your neighbors are. And, and after that, begin praying and asking God, God, Give me more and more opportunities so that I might love them and get involved and engaged in their life to understand that you would open up opportunities through me displaying love to them so that I might be able someday to share with them the reason for the hope that I have. That's your homework. Develop a plan. We just don't want to feel good by agreeing with Jesus telling us to love our neighbor. We want to apply what Jesus has told us to do. Amen? Father, we pray that, Lord, in the coming... Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.